Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. Sam, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Leon. What a wonderful, wonderful time. Isn't it great to be alive in Victoria for a change? Well, uh, yes, and I might say that's true of 99.9% of the population, but we did lose a goodie over the last week. Oh, we did. What an Australian icon. Not only was he a great sporting icon, but a great guy as well, and that was the late Graham Arthur. Yes, and they had a... Mort. Uh, they had a... Yeah, Mort, which is an unfortunate name when you think about it, but... Uh, he came from Bendigo, the same as our Centrist. our great man here from the Prince Hotel, Jerry Ryan. He's Indeed. a he's a Bendigo man, boy. And of course, the captain of uh, the inaugural Hawthorne Premiership uh, victory in 1961, coached by again another icon of our game, which we lost in recent years, uh, John Kennedy. Recent months, in fact. Yeah, recent months, yeah. And of course, a member of our wonderful esteemed Van Sant Club, of which you preside as the. Founding president, almost a founding president. Yeah, not quite founding, but um, yeah, yes, and Graham Arthur, a wonderful fella, and um, uh, to Mary and uh, his six daughters, Sincere, or their six yeah. daughters, and uh, heartfelt uh, prayers and condolences. Yeah, and, and I might might say for anyone listening over seventy five, you might remember the old dance days: Hawthorne Town Hall, Manresa, Zigfields. Slug Jordan and uh, uh, all those Richmond guys used to go there. Tommy Hafey? Used to, yeah, Tommy Hafey yeah. used to smell your breath when you went in. If you had any grog, they wouldn't let you exactly. in. Exactly. Well, the two main lady singers there at the Hawthorne Town Hall, Frankie Davison was the singer. He was the bloke yeah, and he used to wear the Hawthorne jumper. Yeah. And, but, and uh, uh, there was a second singer called... Baker? Uh, no, well, uh, Dorothy Baker was number one. And Gaynor Bunning was number two, a little voluptuous lady, uh, Gaynor, as I recall, as a young bloke. And uh, anyway, she died. Uh, so the people in that age group would be interested in that. She lived on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. God bless her soul. But you evoke some fond memories of our early days, doesn't it, Lee? And I remember when I first came to Melbourne, and I don't want to uh, dwell on this, but in the early 60s, you know, dance halls were huge. And in those days, unlike contemporary days, where you'd meet someone over a drip tray or you'd say, hey, can I have a chat with you? Or would you like a drink? In those days, the girls all sat on one side and you would do, you would, you would go anti-clockwise or clockwise. And, you know, there was, a, there was a framework, a protocol prevalent where, you know, could excuse me, could we have a dance? You know, those, and they were great days, you know, because you really had to excel some of your, you know, skills. The worst Bend one... Bend over the partner. The worst one was Ormond Hall. Ormond now, Hall. Now, the worst thing about that, you had to take the girl in, which meant you had to pay for her. Ah. Someone else. <laughs> so, Jeez, that would have been a deterrent in our day. Oh, 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 you had to avoid <laughs> Unless you're on a real certainty. <laughs> four, God. 431 St Kilda Road, oh. that was the nurses. <laughs> 431. What did they call Ormond Hall? Ormond Hall wasn't, it was another word for Ormond Hall. It was called Ormond Hall. No, it wasn't. There was another word, I can guarantee you. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't, you wouldn't pay unless you had the Sandman out the front. And we're here <laughs> with the compliments of Mitchell and Wine. And by the way, the, the product we want to flog today, well, it the print. Heathcote, Heathcote Shiraz. Oh, Heathcote Shiraz, another fine drop, Leon, but I've still got a bottle left of the print. Oh, which well, is how did that last? Well, the only reason it lasts, I knocked it off out of Jerry's pub, <laughs> <laughs> unbeknownst. But he'll find it later on when he does his books. 
Today our guest is a wonderful fella and he's now working at 3AW and uh, doing a wonderful job on the sport there. Has his own afternoon program as far as I know. Let's find out about him. Hey, Mark Allen, good morning to you. Leon Kecker, uh, I couldn't be dragged away. You're two of my favourites. Thanks for inviting uh. me along. Yeah, well, it's, well, I've known you for years through golf, of course. And Sam, what was your connection with well, Mark? Well, Leon, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be implicitly candid with you. I've known of Mark Allen, sure, everyone does. But I happened to be one night with my wife sitting on the uh, couch watching television. And Saby happens, open mic with Mike Sheen, Mark Allen and his wife. Well, I watched this interview. I had no idea the severity of his uh, ailment. But he was talking about his cancer from stage one to stage four, virtually overnight. It was almost, and they talked about the the journey and the home. It was just the biggest, my wife and I sat there with tears in our eyes. I've never, ever watched anything so courageous. And they were so stoic and so honest in their, uh, in their assessment and talking about their private lives and how difficult it was. And he was matter of fact and she was matter of fact two young kids at home, a mortgage, what we've got to do, dealing with death. It was just gut-wrenching. Anyhow, so much so that I picked up the phone the following morning. He did. And I rang him to tell him that I've watched some of the bravest, courageous bit of TV that I've ever seen in my life. And that is the man we're talking to today, I Mark Allen. I appreciate that call more than you know. Well, okay, that, that meant so much to me. And there were some other people who called along the way that I wasn't expecting, but that was a beauty. Well, yeah, thank my you. wife told me today, if you see Mark Allen, you wish him all the very best because he was the bravest. You know, one of those things that stick in your mind, you see it from time to time in landslides, earthquakes, and those great stories around the world. But this is at our doorstep. Mm. You know, when he considered he lost 70% of his bowel, 20% of his lung. And if he hadn't stumbled across one day, I think he had an appointment, you know, yeah. this is brutally being, you know, being, uh, being the sad. purest sense. You know, because he had blood coming from a certain area, you know, pooing blood. And, you know, and it, it, after a while you say, well, gee whiz, this is not right. So he had it checked, colonoscopies and so forth. And everything was all clear. Then there was a polyp, I think, from memory evolved. Anyhow, they said, we better have it checked out, but he couldn't get an appointment until the 29th of January. This is early in January. Haven't had a game of golf with a surgeon mate that he stumbled across, and he told him the uh, predicament that he was in, and the surgeon said, no, that's not right. You better come in straight away. Well, when they analysed him straight away, they realised he's got cancer. Stage one became stage four within minutes. So almost at death's doorstep. Stage four, you don't, rec- you don't return. You don't recover. And have a look at him now. He's a million percent. He's totally uh, clear. It's just the most fascinating story. And you talk about fate. Mm-hmm. So, 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 Mark, we, uh, that must have been horrifying. Now, I didn't know about that because I haven't got pay TV. I ne- never had it. Um, so I would have missed that. But yeah, so look, it was a shock because I wasn't even pulling blood, Sam. But the amazing thing was I was just wiping my bum and I would see some red blood. It was as simple as that. And the first time I went to the doctor, she gave me some hemorrhoid cream. Yeah, that's right, hemorrhoid, yeah. And, I, and she goes, mm. yeah, you're right. And she examined me. Like, she put the, the finger in my bum and, and couldn't find anything. It was 10 centimetres up my rectum. So she couldn't reach it. So she said, look, I had a good look. I think uh, you haven't lost any weight. 
it's uh, it's looks to hemorrhoids to me. And the hemorrhoid cream worked. It, it, it didn't bleed for a little while, and then it bled again towards the end of the year. And, and the story basically matches up from there. So Sam was right. I went to the doctor because he owned a horse called Snitty Kitty, and I didn't care <laughs> yeah. about you know anything because I, did, I didn't have cancer, and I've been winning some money on Snitty oh, Kitty. Aussie way my backing a winner overcomes transcends all things. <laughs> so I t- I asked where how Snitty Kitty was going, and he goes, uh, Yeah, we've put her out for a while. She won't be running until until the autumn. And then um, I was bragging to him, Leon. I mean, I, I was like, oh, I'm a great guy, you know. I'm, I'm getting checked up. I'm getting a colonoscopy just booked in. And, and now the match, it, it absolutely matches up. He got me in the next day instead of waiting, uh, I think it was about six weeks. Because yeah. everyone gets their colonoscopies at Christmas time, folks. So there's a little warning for you. If you're worried, don't get it at Christmas time. Go get it now. Go get it now. You'll I get mean, it straight in. My word. Well, uh, Mark, it's a wonderful recovery story and uh, I guess there's been millions of people that haven't been so fortunate and, uh, well, bless your lucky stars. One of the the silliest things I did, I was in the the car when I got a phone call from the doctor saying that you're not stage one anymore, you're stage four because they found it in my lungs. And I'd pulled over because he told me to pull over. And after he hung up, I Googled uh, what's the likelihood of survival uh, for stage four bowel cancer patients? And Google told me five percent make it past uh, five years. So that was a rotten car trip. That was a rotten car trip. And then is it true that you started thinking about funeral songs? Yep, yep. Uh, that's went through my mind. I didn't know what was going to happen with the kids. You start thinking all that, and the doctor said, you know, the last thing he said to me was, "Come in straight away." So I went in there straight away, and he uh, got me down. And I said, "Well, what's the story?" He goes, "Well." You're in a bit of trouble. I said, beauty, he goes, look, you, you best get everything ready to go. And I said, well, can I, is it a survival rate? And he goes, uh, look, I'll put it to you this way because I know you're a golfer. He said, you are in the tournament for your life. You're in the last group and you are playing with a champion and you're three shots behind. And at that point, I thought to myself, I wonder if this bastard knows I've never won a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I forget, look, with a great respect to this product, but we're going to forget the Heathcote Shiraz. Get the print out of it. <laughs> what have I always said to you? Don't be a hoarder. Bring out the very best. Live the moment. Live the moment. Let, let, let's get on the golf. And that's a wonderful story, I might say. And you could, that, that's a program in itself. And, um, Wonderful story, and I hope it gives some encouragement to people who aren't feeling very That's well. That's right. There's always hope. Inspiration. Mark, um, the early days, I, when I first met you, was down at Honeydale, and um, uh, I'm a member of Commonwealth, which yep. is around the corner. Um, and it's well, a I wonderful... played at Myrtleford. <laughs> well, it's not Honeydale, Honeydale is a... You know. <laughs> Pretty good. Honeydale, of course, uh, invented the Australian Masters, and guys like Ian Stanley were involved yep. with that and a whole lot of David other guys. Inglis, yeah. Dave Nichols and... Um, David Inglis. Yep. Uh, Inglis, rather. Yep. He, he, well, he died from a, yeah, he did a, too, yep. a, a sad death. And, uh, Correct, Wayne. What a wonderful death that was. He, he, he just uh, raised millions of dollars for motor... Neuro. Syndrome, was it? Neuro. Uh, yes, one it of those, one of those. One of those killer deal ones. Those, and, yep. um, Did a great he, job. he was a former teacher and um, he did a wonderful job. I went to a function at, oh, I, might, I don't think it was Crown. Crown mightn't have been open. It might have been at one of those Hyatts in town. And oh, he must have raised four or five million on that one night. 
Gee. Wonderful thing. So just people do wonderful things under, yeah. under those circumstances. That was on the back of Greg Norman supporting the tournament. Yes. Greg Norman yeah. was the world number one. He was Tiger Woods before Tiger Woods was Tiger Woods. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he came and played every single Masters, basically, and got that tournament pumping. Mm. And uh, then... What, what happened? Why, why did they take it away from Honeydale in the end? Uh, they took it away because the US Tour and the European Tours uh, are no longer 25 tournament years. That's they are right. now 47 tournament Con- years. Constance, yeah. And they play for $5 million US dollars uh, a week, which is about uh, $8 million Australian pesos a week. Uh, and, and they just completely wiped our stars from coming back because we used to have Greg Norman to come back, Nick Feldo, you know, Bernard Langer, Seve Ballesteros, Jack Nicholas. Everyone played the Masters yeah. because it was a beautiful timed warm-up. Ernie Els. Ernie Els. It was a beautifully timed warm-up for the European Tours in February. They come down to Australia, they get some nice warm weather, get some sun on their bones, and they go back in time for the first couple of events Ernie in the Els States. Ernie Els came in, but he refused to come to Australia after... Uh Steve Brax presented. <laughs> <laughs> Early Earls actually came out as a replacement for the uh, the South African uh, next to South Africa. Uh, Nick Price, Rhodesia. Nick Price. Nick Price. That's right. Nick Price couldn't come, and uh, Ernie Earls filled in for him. He's Rhodesia. That's a long Rhodesia. <laughs> I think you're talking about. And uh, now you've got me going. Uh, yeah, well, I, I played waterfolo uh, against Rhodesia. I'll now. give you a cryptic clue. Mugabe. No, Zimbabwe. Yes, well, Zimbabwe. Mugabe. There oh, well, we go. Magnificent. Thank well. you. <laughs> well, I didn't pass too many subjects at school, in fact. <laughs> I used to go to at Myrtleford High School, would you believe, in those days, we had an exchange student from Rhodesia. You're kidding me. He was a me. great fast bowler too. Are you great for fast, real? Yeah, I promise you. How did he find Myrtleford? Well, he was an exchange student at Myrtleford High School. Amazing. That's way back in 19, when did I matric? 1966. You wouldn't have even thought they had exchange yeah, students exchange going student around then. From Rhodesia. Unbelievable. I'll stick with this Honeydale thing for a minute, uh, just because the, the, every club now. How many clubs, footy clubs, did you play with? Oh, Myrtleford, Myrtleford, and then you, uh, North, North South Melbourne, Melbourne North Collingwood, North Paran, uh, uh, Newtown, didn't Rye. You? Yeah, Rye. That was the one I was thinking of down the on the Peninsula. Coast. Yeah. So in every one of those, there are characters. Oh, no yeah, doubt. Along the way, and you probably know some of them still from from no those doubt. days. In the case of Honeydale Golf Club, I, I used to go there a fair bit for some reason, I don't know, um, because they'd let me in, I guess. But um, <laughs> I remember Ray Presnell, who was... Uh, he was, uh, a, he was a the big, president big, big or the captain? Pre- president and captain, yeah. a big, big man. And, uh, and Some went on to be a very good player. Yes. Uh, Alistair, Alistair Presnell. Alistair Presnell. He led a US pro. Open once. Led one, didn't he? He led a US Open in the middle of the second round in San Francisco. Yeah, oh dear. Well, he was a very good player, and and he and uh, Ray's wife was a uh, very Fiona. nice lady too. Lovely lady. Anyway, um, Ray died. This guy was a, a, a news agent, and he died unhappily. And uh, but do you know when he came down from Shepparton uh, to play pennant for Honeydale? He got to the stage of not being able to swing the thing forward. That's right, he had the yips. <laughs> he had he the yips he, and he got swing. the club up there and he couldn't take it down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We feel some pretty scary moments for him. Uh, and there's thing, a few you know, players like that. Well, Kevin Nah, who just won the Sunny Open, he had the yips very badly. That is exactly he right. struggled. But the guy I want to ask you about, a former a great young Australian who won Aaron Batley. Yeah. Now, Aaron Batley, I noticed in the Sunny Open, because I watch the American golf every week. I yeah. think it's compulsive viewing. Yeah, it is good. Uh, 
And Aaron Bradley, I saw he was on the leaders' board uh, for the first two rounds, 11 under. Yeah, even three rounds. He's doing well. Three rounds, and he finished about 20, uh, 20 or 30, I don't know. 41st. 41st, first, got $35,000. Shot two over par in the last day. Yeah. The whole world went past him, and I reckon that two over par, if he shoots the, the I think, the, uh, the course average on the last day, which was 66, yeah. course average, if he shoots that, he makes 300000 Yeah, I know. Instead, 300 finished fifth, where's three... Uh, because I'll go through the money. You yeah. can Google and you go see what their money got. 1.8 million went to the winner now nah, because it was 6.6 million yeah. for the uh, tournament. If he shoots 66, he, he makes a He 14. made 35,000 running 41st. But as Mark Rightfield alluded to, he's an extra. I watched the, you know, what one stroke means in professional golf the amount of money, just one stroke. Mm. But you multiply one stroke every round by four. And the so world goes past you. The world goes past The world goes past you. He was a great player, that kid. And he did what so many golfers try to do, which is try and perfect the game of golf. And that is impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Swinging he, coaches, so batting he, coaches. He, he changed his swings about five times. Tiger Woods has done it about five times as well. But you know. So did you, though. Your whole game... Yeah. Did you have problems with your... Yeah, no. Well, I, I had one fantastic summer where I played very, very well and finished 11th on the list. And that was, I was a young kid going through 11th. I think I was the youngest kid um, What sort of money spot. was that? What sort of money would you be earning then, mate? Oh, look, I finished fifth at the Australian Masters in 1993 and made, uh, I made 30000 for the week prize money and made an extra fifty in bonuses. So 80000 bucks back in 1992 for a 21-year-old mm. was a joke. Was a joke. I think I made about 250000 I had 200000 in the bank at the end of that summer, which was just ridiculous and did I let every girl in town know about that too so just some crazy did you get married as a matter of <laughs> <laughs> so um, I went over uh, that got me to the very last stage of the US tour school I missed my US tour card um, and but I got a, a game in the seconds which was the, called the Nike tour back then yeah. so I played one season kind of in the Nike tour I came back and looked at my coach and said listen if I can improve my tee to green I felt like I could be a really good player Mark, so, just on that Nike tour, they play for a million bucks a week. Uh, I think they do at the moment. They do. Yeah. They pay for a million a week now. Yeah, back then it was two hundred thousand, and I got thirty thousand, thirty percent taken out of my checks. I was the only bloke in the field playing for one hundred and forty thousand. Everyone was playing for twenty two hundred thousand. Um, and I got back. I said to the coach, "Listen, I've got to change things because I want to be a good player. I don't want to be a, an average player." And you know, you had blokes like Nick Faldo who changed his swing at the time, and Nick Price, and a raft of players changed their swing and went to the next level. And it was all because of the video camera. The video camera yeah. was invented about then. You could put it on. You know, the yeah. coach could put it on his shoulder, and you actually had evidence what makes a good swing. So we went to work in 1994 to change my swing. And I'm just getting the hang of those changes today, which is, which is a little disappointing. Was that, was that uh, Jeff Flanagan in those days? No, it was a guy called Dale Lynch. Dale, oh, yeah. Dale, yeah. Dale Lynch was uh, Aaron Badley's coach. Aaron Badley's coach. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Jeff Ogilvie's coach, who went on the winner at US Open. So Dale got started with me and finished with Jeff. Nice bloke, Dale. <laughs> Champion fella. Um, you, you and your brother lived on the course at one time at Honeydale. Yeah, on the 15th uh, green, uh, 15th tee. Yeah, that was interesting, uh, living there. and a little party and, house. And particularly with the Masters there. Um, you know, I used to get I used to get a ride uh, with the girls, the Schweppes girls. We used to come <laughs> to my front door and, in the golf cart and pick me up and take me there. It was organised. On tour. I, I, I wore a Schweppes hat for 12 years, so Schweppes organised that for me. It was ridiculous. On tour, see, we watch from afar, and I always watch Phil Mickelson, the New Yorkers. They all love him and applaud him, and yeah. I watch uh, Tiger, and I watch 
you know, all the pros, all the pros. Uh, who are some of the good guys and the bad guys? Oh, I see. I had a little bit to do with Tiger, and he was a sensational fella. Massive yeah. swearer, love, love swearing. Yeah. When the cameras went around, yeah. and he, 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 you know, he was a fantastic fella. In fact, that you know the documentary that's out about him at the moment's a must watch. If you haven't watched it, uh, stream it on Foxtel. It is great. Um, there were some unusual characters. You know, Robert Ellenby was a strange one. Uh, oh, well, Robert said, you know, yeah, he's had, he's he's had, had a, geographic problems finding his yeah. way home, Robert. So. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There are some strange guys, and that's because golf is not like. Um, Footy. Team sport. Yeah, team sport is, is, is so good for you when you're a kid. And for golf, so many youngsters, they give everything away when they when there's a tiny bit of light in their tunnel. And, and, and fair enough too. I never did. I played footy until I was in the under-17s. And I was in the state team playing footy still. And they, you know, if, if they knew I was doing that, they would have gone through me. But the other kids, they threw everything else out the door when they were 12. And I, I think... Because it's such a lonely sport, you don't have, you know, your captain of the footy team going, don't do that, and, you know, giving you a whack in the arm or telling you to shut up or don't be a smart ass to the wrong yeah. people. You, you miss that. And look, there But your caddy of- fills that role to a degree, does he not? A good caddy? Yeah. Oh, uh, if you get an older caddy, most yeah. of these guys have their mates. They're easily sackable. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the caddies. Well, the, well, the kids were, these kids had no money. And in fact, I was going to get onto that. You, Mark, would have seen a thousand young guns with big, big swings, you know, they're all big, long, skinny kids now. And I, I've watched them right through, you know, mm. Allenby, Appleby and all those guys. Uh, I used to be involved with the old VRC. VIS? The, uh, uh, the, um, Lions Club? Well, the VIS, the VIS yeah. I was on the original board for that, but also the Victorian Golf Association, yeah. VGA. And we used to help them along a bit and play yeah. in uh, junior... Yep. Almost pro ams, they'd call them, but and that's where Allenby and Appleby, you know, they were only kids, and all and you'd say, God, they're going to be good, and mm. they'd, all the older blokes around the VGA would say, Don't get carried away. About one percent of these guys will go all the way through, and that's true. It's a bloody tough game. Yeah, and one of the reasons those kids got a, they had a pathway, <clears throat> and, and that's something that today's kids do not have. Someone like Mike Clayton has never been to a tour school. Because he was a pro in Australia, he got straight onto the European tour. Nothing, just straight over there. But when in the 90s, when we were playing and when you were involved, we had these amazing pathways to where I had that yeah. one good summer. I finished 11th for good and sake. And, and that got me to the very last stage of the US tour school. So 11th, yeah, I mean, 11th. that's nothing to write home about. I didn't win the order of merit. I came 11th and I got a chance to play That's on the US set. tour. I missed by a little bit and got to play on the sec- in, in the seconds. That doesn't happen today. Even, like, there's a, a situation a couple of years ago. A kid won the Australian Open. All he got was 180000 bucks. He still had to qualify for yeah. events everywhere he really? went. That is a disaster in my view because we've got these talented kids coming through and they end up in dead ends and it's all to do with the Australian pacer that I was talking about before it goes you, you might have $50,000 in your pocket when you leave the shores here you go to Europe it's 5,000 of those Australian pesos a week yeah. it doesn't last long if you get off to a bad start yeah, that's right. and all of a sudden money pressure comes um, you know for me when I started changing my swing I went from having $200,000 in the bank to owing both my major sponsors Mr Mastercard and Mr Visa 25000 bucks each missed a couple of cuts oh, well missed, you missed five years worth of cuts and you are in strife and there's nothing worse playing golf 
than money pressure. And we have had a trainload of sensational kids coming through the Australian ranks who have walked straight into that dead end because today we are not aligned fully with the European tour. And I've been banging on about this for a long, long time. That's got to change. And the best bit, Leon, is the European tour dying for our tournaments, our trophies and our history on their tour. They're dying for it. All of our smaller events should be on their seconds, you know, the Challenge Tour. The Vic Open, you know, the Vic Open's gone to a different place. New South Wales Open, the West Australian Open, they should all be Challenge Tour events. Mm. Our kids play in them, they start winning, they get a shortcut to the European Tour. Instead, if you watch the golf on a Friday night or a you know Sunday night the European Tour, all we're seeing is South Africans playing and no Australians. That's it's right. because South Africa has been aligned with the European Tour yeah. for 25 years. Now, so we've got to catch up. Mark, um, have you ever thought or have you got a thought about following the racing trend? Uh, we heard uh, Jerry Harvey on your station 3AW today talking about why the sales were were enormous this year in, on yeah, the I Gold Coast that. because they syndicate horses. Yeah. Now, I remember years ago, back in my day, inverted commas, where groups of people would get together and they would sponsor a player. Yes. They'd buy some of the player. Yeah. That's just faded away to nothing. I, I thought they'd had some, some well, balls. They, yeah, they did. Uh, so there was a fellow called David Haynes. You'd remember yeah. him. He had a steelworks in Philadelphia. Uh, he was the richest bloke you know, in Australia there for a lot of while. He, he gave people like Ian Stanley and all those guys a little bit of a head start, and he continued that on when I got He gave me an around-the-world trip. Uh, ticket, just go for your life. He gave it to Craig Spence as Another well. Another Honeydale member. Another Honeydale member. He, he used <coughs> to give that ticket to everybody, David Haynes, and that, that was really nice. But again, we had Pathways back then. Once the Pathways clubs would have a, a day for somebody and they might raise 50000 bucks. well, once clubs worked out that the $50,000 lasts them 12 weeks and they you know they, here's your 50 go up and you're, they're back in 12 weeks time what's, what's happened those days stopped those days completely stopped because if you don't have guaranteed work which means getting into you know 15 events quite often you only get into three and you're stuck over there for 15 weeks in three events you miss three cuts that's expensive have you done much history on it because I, I understand uh, Sam that uh, Norman von Neider was the, the, the front runner for these pro, an Australian yeah. pro going overseas. Yeah, that's right. Oh, absolutely. Norman von Neider, uh, Kel Nagel and Peter Thompson, Peter, yeah. they lived in his shadow for a long time. Norman von Neider showed them the way and, and did everything for them. Now, that's available still. Greg Norman still looks after the young guys. Adam Scott, you know, all those superstars over there if, if a young kid somehow gets a start over there it's, it's an automatic start that they're going to get a, a free ride so but that most, still happens but most sports in contemporary times all the pathways have been severed because of the advent of the almighty dollar correct you know before in our day when we came through we all had clear pathways yes and we we're all promoted and we we're all nurtured and we we're all given every opportunity but big money came to town and then all of a sudden you know, all they worried about was the top end of the food chain. Yeah. You know, you work your way to a certain level and then we'll look at you. Yeah. And that's that's probably applicable, you know, right across the board in all sports. It doesn't look after the four-year well, AFL footballer who doesn't make it after four well, years, Well, exactly. He's, he's, a, he's a lost soul. And the David Haynes of the world, who in those days would get some certain recognition and get some... He would leverage a fair bit of, you know, goodwill out of yeah. being... Op- being 
you know, helpful in that yeah. regard. Yeah. These days, he's, you know, it, it falls, it's infinitesimal. That's right. It doesn't even register on the Richter scale. That's You're right. on uh, Golf and Life with, uh, and in fact, I can say Golf and Life today because it is Golf and you Life. You can, Leon, finally. I make that mistake every week. It's <laughs> Sport and Life. But, uh, golf and Life today with Mark Allen and uh, with a compliment of Mitchelton. Our favourite wine, Leon. I've just had a little tincture as we speak during that break and I can guarantee you now, I was not shickered. Well, you think I can hear every shickered every day, but I'm not because it's got that profound, that tannin taste, you know, on your bottom lip. Now, Leon, can I ask you something? Please do. <clears throat> when were you ever ecstatic in a game of golf missing the cut? Um, ever? I can't remember missing a cut because we used to play one-day pro-ams. <laughs> well, in the event that he had played a four-day tournament, do you think in your wildest dreams you would have been happy missing a cut? Uh, I know what you're alluding to, and I'm very pleased to say that I was there, that, that, that tournament. Right. Well, there's only one guy I know who's purposely missed a cut, but I'm not going to elaborate now. Dan, who's our producer, listening intently because he's not quite certain I'm going to say. I think it was Tiger Woods, but he had ultra extracurricular activities to address. All that aside... But our very guest played the British Open. I think he shot 84. Yeah. Missed a cut. But inadvertently, Leon, not through design, it launched another great career for him. And that's the one we're alluding to now, the world of media. He became a radio personality overnight. I think you were given a contract there and then, weren't you? Radio with 3AW or someone uh, uh, called upon you. They paid you expenses. Yeah, well, that, well what, what happened was I, I led the British Open qualifying that year in 1999. And because I hadn't done anything for a long time, I was in the middle of changing my swing, remember? So I hadn't done a thing. It was a, it was a news story back here because uh, 97, K, uh, KB called me. He was the first one. There was a show called Pig Jimmy and Rue Boy a That's long right. time ago. Yeah. Uh, they gave me a bell. And by the time Ross and Dean called me from 3AW, it was Dean back then, this radio stuff was just a piece of cake. So they asked me how I was going and then they got me to tell a story. I told a story about Greg Norman not buying this plane and how he made three million bucks out of not buying a plane and they loved it. And they said, listen, could you be our correspondent for the week? I said, absolutely, I'm going to miss this cut, guaranteed. So I'll need something to do. I'll need something to do. So we started, mate, you know, telling some stories because that, that's that's what they loved at AW. They didn't want to know about the golf. No. At every golf tournament, there's 100 players, 100 wives, 100 caddies, 100 girlfriends. 300 stories. There's a story every week. And, of course, you'd, it would somehow filter back and I would just come on and tell the story. I didn't care. <laughs> We're talking about Carnoustie 1999, yeah, yeah. one by Laurie, Paul Laurie. Yeah, Scotty. But, but remembered for? Uh, oh, well, Vanderbilt. John Vanderbilt. I'll tell you a story about John Vanderbilt. Yeah, go on. A couple of years later, and you've played plenty of Porty Pro-Am. Yes. I was fortunate enough to play every one of them, 35, oh, wow. 35 of them. And uh, John Vanderbilt, the day before... The uh, World Masters, a uh, World Match Play at uh, Metropolitan, yes, which I was the starter at. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm down at Portsea for the pro am, and it's John Vanderveld because I recognised him because I sat in the front row <laughs> in that tournament that you played in '99. Yeah. So I saw the whole thing unfold. And so I'm saying, here he is, he's talking to all the girls and having a few beers. <laughs> Everybody else is at uh, Metropolitan Practicing. Practicing. Yeah. So I get there the next day as I'm the starter. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Sam Kankovich from the US against John Vanderveld from France. 
Sam Kekovich comes up, oh, John, I'm using a precept for. <laughs> Vanderbilt says, well, I have a bridge on, but I do not know what my provisional ball will be. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. He was a star. Oh, that was... Would you ever recover from something like this? No. No, you wouldn't. He must have nightmare demons on his place. As as it happens, I knew him and played nine holes with him that that week. And my caddy and I, we were laughing at him because he was hitting it sideways. Like, I was hitting okay. He was hitting it sideways. Anyway, we missed the cut. I went off into La La Land and, you know, just did whatever I did for a couple of days. And then we finally got to a, a, a pub somewhere and we looked up. Well, I'd lost track of the tournament. And my caddy and I look at him going, he can't be leading this tournament. <laughs> he was hitting it sideways. We, we absolutely just couldn't a believe A three-stroke lead on the last hole. Yeah, and I say to this day, he's the unluckiest golfer to ever live. It, it wasn't a choke, Sam, because he hit the ball out on the 17th fairway. He did. He hit out on the 17th fairway. The hard thing about Carnoussi that week is... The fairways were as hard as that. So if he played safe and tried to go across diagonally, he would have only had a tiny little bit of margin to make the ball stop, which is too hard. So all he had to do in in this case, there was a thing called the Barry Burn, which was in front of the 18th green. All he had to do, and it was out of bounds left, all he had to do was hit it over the Barry Burn, and he wins the tournament. So he takes out an extra club. He hits it straight into the grandstand, which is 101 win a tournament with a three-shot lead. And instead of just landing on someone's lap and leaving a bruise... Could have been me. There, was right a, there. There, were, there were steps, that's right. There were steps on the way up, and there was a handrail. His ball landed on a two-inch handrail, and instead of just falling down, it bounced backwards. Back over the bird, into yeah. the bird. So if it lands... Into the grass. Two, if it, the ball lands one inch this way or one inch that way... It rolls down. He gets a drop in front of that stand, chips it on, and wins by two. Instead, the carnage started. I so to watch, me, he's still the unlucky spike ever. I still watch rolling up his... And <laughs> yeah, you know, Craig Perry was in... He was playing with him. Craig Perry... Chipped in, you know, out of that bucket. That's right. And Mr. C- missed the right. playoff by one. The, the, that's title. That, that Barry Byrne is title. There you go on. Tell the story. <laughs> tell the story. <laughs> and and Vanderbilt's got his uh, his pants rolled yeah, up yeah. and he's wandering around. He looked wa- up at waiting, Perry. waiting for the the water to subside a bit. And Perry said, "Why don't you wait till the tide goes out?" <laughs> yes, that's a true story. If you wait well, long right enough, right there, we were uh, two feet away from it. Uh, amazing, amazing scenes. That and was. you know, how about the wife? His wife was the manager. His manager at the time. She was laughing. Here's the world media around the place. And says, "Well, here's your uh, husband. Three points, three shots in front, one hole to play, and he got beaten. What do you think? <laughs> he is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> They're not married anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so the tournament finished, and I still had a, um, I still had a cross to do for three AW, yeah. and I, I told my two stories." And Ross Stevenson, there must have been a little bit of time left, or the next guest fell through. He goes, "Have you got anything else for us?" Now. At the, at the first round, I've left this out. At the, at the first round, um, I was hitting off at quarter past four in the afternoon, so, and I was there having my sixth nervous piece before I hit yeah. off. I was really no, I'd never played yeah. in a major before, so I was very nervous. Anyway, I'm standing there. I hear some spikes come around the corner. I look up, and it's Tiger Woods. Anyway, so I ended up going to the toilet next to Tiger Woods. So we get back to the Monday morning Melbourne time. Ross Stevenson's going, "Hey, have you got anything else?" 
And I said, well, I could tell you about my running with Tiger Woods. And I really panicked. I, didn't, you know, I had nothing else. That's all I could think of on the spot. And Ross goes, yes. And I said, told him about the story. I said, you spikes around the corner. I said, Ross, I was having a pee next to Tiger Woods. And Ross has gone, and? I said, well, I had to have a look. <laughs> and there was just silence. And then I could hear this, and? I said, well, I'm afraid he's more Thai than African-American. <laughs> and I've been working in the media ever since. If you well, had said that these days, you'd be off I'll the be air. Off. <laughs> off. Now, that led to David Schwartz and you doing a show. Well, that, that led to, uh, I got a phone call when a little station called SEN started, a fantastic little station called SEN started, and I was offered a golf program on a Wednesday night. Uh, that summer, that Christmas, after the first year, they forgot to organise fill-in people for breakfast. So I got a phone call one, three days out. That, you know, they were just, it was a brand new station. They just forgot. They said, could you do this for four weeks? Could you just fill in the host breakfast? So I did that. I became the fill-in guy. Um, about five years later, a guy called Francis Leach didn't want to do the work anymore. Yeah. And I was the fill-in guy. So I just got that job. It fell in my lap. And Ox and I have been together ever since, uh, one way or another. SEN, SEN became... It was the old 3AK that I used to do breakfast yeah, with. Yeah, AK, which was, yeah. we used to broadcast out of Channel 9. Mm, no, we were, we were still in Swan Street, 3AK, when Jeff Kennett was doing bre- morning. Oh, no, doing this breakfast. preceded that. Yeah. So it was, it was started at, well, didn't start, it's been around for with, 100 years. With Jane Holmes and also with uh, Greg Evans. Yes. So it was huge, three years. wasn't it, 3AK? I remember 3AK Yeah, we had massive time. Yeah. But three mornings, why? And but mornings are hard, as you would know. Oh, I, I didn't you know. You never get used to it, but oh. getting up at fives and fours. I didn't know who I was. And, of course, the other thing, after serving, after being on SEN for about 12, 14 years, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. I was there for, and uh, during your, from day one. your toughest moment in time, you, uh, had a, you had a contract, then they sacked you during that period when you were yeah, that's right. teetering on the precipice of... Well, every year that I'd signed a contract, I used to walk into Barry Quick's office and he would say, um, you're right for next year? And I would go... Yeah, I'm right for next year. He goes, good, we'll, we'll sort it out next year. We'll sort it out when you come back from holidays. And we'd just walk in, sign the contracts, and away we go. And I was told that's just the way it's done in radio because it's, you know, everyone's busy at that time of year. So I, I believed it. Um, and in at the end of 2017, uh, we had a person go in and, and organise our contracts, and we got all the emails back from the CEO going, yep, all done, tick, 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 tick. This is what you're getting next year. All done, all signed. Well, not all signed, but all done in... In principle. In principle. Anyway, um, then we found out that the station was changing hands. Um, Well, not changing hands, but merging with Croc Media. And we thought, okay, and, you know, I'd a small talk with Craig Hutchison. He asked me when I'm coming back from holidays, so I just assumed everything was good. And uh, the last day we said our goodbyes, can't wait for next year, sounds exciting, and they were waiting for us out in the hallway, which we just couldn't comprehend at the time because we'd just done a two-year deal. And it's not like I could go from uh, Buxton to, you know, (laughs) Marshall White. I couldn't do that. It's a very thin list for sports broadcasters or sports radio people. So uh, that was the biggest shock to our system of, of all time. We just couldn't believe it. And, you know, I've still got that email. And you know our lawyers told us that you know that's that's yeah, that's the shocking. deal these days. Uh, an employee, an employer cannot deceive an employee about employment. So that's why you don't need to sign anything anymore. Because if they give you something that says you're right, right to go, they can't deceive you. No. Did you get that, Sam? Uh, no. no, no, no. They get they get the get the geography there. 
I did Marshall Bax- White and the Baxton's here. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing to do with old oh, I know. Uh, Brad Seal out yeah. the window. <laughs> Don't worry. I said a field, three slips and two gullies, Leon. Well, yeah. the reason I say that to get through. is because I went, uh, I had nothing to do, so I ended up when did the uh, you know the real estate oh, course. Yeah. That's that's why that's front of mine because I was going to be a real estate agent. And <laughs> anyway, Macquarie Sport Radio started but you also, for a year. You did a bit of tutoring too, golf tutoring. Uh, tutoring, uh, the, the teaching went out the window. Yeah, once yeah. radio started, I was I was just too busy. And in, you know when you teach. It's all talking. Yeah. It's all motivating, and I couldn't do that. And then come the radio and talk. But you're in a good space now. You got you oh, know, fantastic now. Content, yeah, three yeah. AW looked after us magnificently. Um, I've, I've just got into a, a media buying agency called Assembled Media. I've got, you know, we've got a part of that. Ox and I, and, and it, so as it turns happy, out, the mortgage is happy. The kids are happy. Everyone's happy. As it turns out, it was the best thing that ever happened. Apart from getting sick, the, it was uh, the best the, thing that ever happened. The interesting thing I'd like to get your opinion of, Mark. Is that why? Why is it so that we don't have more golfers? You know, it, it's a it's a game where people get dressed up. They wear f- mm. flamboyant colours. Um, it's expensive. No, 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 no. But in the media, why, why have we got? So few people like yourself oh. that have made a success out of the media yeah. from golf. Yeah, because if if you're any good, uh, you play until you're fifty. Yeah, and then if you're any good, you don't need to do anything else. So, you know, people like Nick O'Hearn who's moved to Melbourne, and you know Jeff Ogilvy. Nick O'Hearn got the seventeen in the world, mind you. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ogilvy won at US Open. Those guys never have to worry ever again. Mm. They don't have to worry. But if you're, you know, if you need to work. Um, that usually find out in your mid thirties that you, that you're no good. And then when I, for me, when I look back, I was caught in the middle. You know, I was too good to stop, but I wasn't quite good enough to, to get on, on the US on, or yeah. the European tour. So I was caught. You know, I was I was right in the middle. Tell me a couple of things I want to know. I know the competitive nature of the game, the accusations of cheating. Mm. We saw in recent times with Reid, VJ Singh, there's a big stigma about him for eons. Yes. Do you know why it's hated so much in professional golf? Because cheating in golf, professional golf, is not just cheating. Cheating in professional golf is stealing. You are stealing prize money from your fellow professional golfers. If you do something particularly at the point end. So let's say Patrick Reed, for instance, because what he does is cheating. If but he, was it cheating? Because I looked at that in the bunker, you know, with... Yep, when he, just, when he dragged the club back and removed yeah, sand. Absolutely cheating. Can't do that. You, you are not allowed to improve your lie. But do you think it was purposely golf. done? Yes. You yeah, do. every okay. golfer does. Well, every, there's a point of conjecture about that, by the way. I know what... Yeah, absolutely. I'll, take, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bow to wiser counsel in yourself but my yeah. eyes tell me differently but I'm a novice yes so I don't know that, well the reason the reason is if you, if you fiddle with that lie he, the lie he had he could really just explode it out 60 yards down the fairway what he did gave him the opportunity to hit a five line on the green from 210 yards oh uh, right so that is cheating and every single golfer is taught from a young age you don't do that so that is cheating one of the reasons I hate the long putter is because that, to me, takes it, the nerve out of the game. And that, that's one of the great things about the game. When you've got a long putter, it is, it's, it's just a it's rod. A one shot. It's yeah. a rod. It, by 
definition, the rod cannot break down. If you're putting with a short putter, you've got hands, you've got wrists, you've got elbows, you've got shoulders, so you've got a head that can move around. Why did Adam Scott get welds that allowed? Because there was a couple of golfers on the senior tour in the 80s who completely lost their nerve. They felt sorry for them. They found this way of putting. They weren't very good players, so they weren't winning tournaments, and they ticked it off. Well, why didn't Baker Finch adopt that? Why didn't he just walk away? No, Finchie had the beautiful, he was one of the greatest putters who ever lived. Finchie had the Charles Barkley affection. (laughs) He couldn't hit the ball anymore, the poor bugger. He hit it out of bounds on the first hole at St Andrews. Not once, he did it twice, but he hit it out of bounds on 18 as well, which is the same fairway. Even when I was a reasonable golfer, I couldn't hit it that (laughs) far. But he also had the ifs with putting. He couldn't putt at the end either. Um, It went right through his game. And Peter Senior, they forget, won three or four tournaments in a row when they first had them. So they'd sort of put themselves into a corner then. Yeah, and look, I love Adam Scott, but... I reckon his Masters is tainted a little bit. I mean, him winning the Masters with the long putter was, yeah. was the why the long putter is now they changed banned the, thing, the way they, they used to. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't rest it upon any part of your anatomy. You've yeah, got to have it. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You but you know it. what they do? They rest their forearm on their rib cage and their hand isn't touching. Uh, and that's as good as anchoring. Yeah, it's still anchoring. And that yeah. is... It is cheating. So it fixes that part of the body. Yeah, the two guys who are leading the seniors tour year after year, Bernard Langer, he's 110, and uh, Scott uh, McLaren, uh, he uses the, they both use a long putter. They're both leading the putting yeah, stats. He's got McLaren, yeah. He's going to be a baseballer. Yeah, and, and they're just dominating. And yeah. you, you watch the pictures. People, you know, it's, if you watch social media, there's picture after picture of them cheating. And it's mm. the the rules say you can accidentally do it. What sort of a rule is that? Now, talking about cheating in golf, why is it so that uh, there is a blue collar and white collar cheating? Uh, white collar cheating is the guys that in amateur golf who can't score, can't yes. count past five. Yeah. And the blue collar are the ones that kick the ball out, or or whatever they do, you know. Yeah, look, I think and so. they're, they're regarded as worse than the white collar. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember as a kid, I would say, "Dad, I had a six, and really believe I had a six, And Dad would go, "No, you haven't," and make me count. So I understand the white colour, yeah. the white colour cheating, yeah. because you can make those mistakes. You know, you're carrying a club, it's tiring, yeah. it's six kilometre walk, you're on the 15th oh, hole. Please, And please. you have a bit of that, you go six, you're dead eight or six. That copper played BHP with a, uh, with a HP with a rubber at the end of it. <laughs> Spare me, no, please. That's Vijay Singh. I'll tell, yeah. tell you what, and I can guarantee this, as you get older, you do forget. You go, oh God! What have I done yeah, there? You do. One, two, three. You do. I forgive that. I forgive. I forgive <laughs> white collar cheating. Well, I forget. I forgive white collar forgetting. Yeah, that's, that's right. What, that's what we should. Well, do. you don't do it intentionally. You no, just but, can't remember. But see, you know what? You know what? You know. But it's like everything. You know, and you know what ultimately created that is the games that we play. Like we play Ambrose, hmm. best ball. You know, let's play the best ball. So you get in the habit of playing the best ball. Mm. So when you get out there on your own merits and you find yourself, you know, you need a you know, you need a chainsaw to give a hit, then you realise, oh, this is not much fun. I might just give this a little subtle boot <laughs> and I'll play, play Ambrose on my own. <laughs> so we're dumbing down instead of raising the level and, you know, being the very best we can. I even understand that, you know. There, there are guys who play socially on the weekend. They're not the comp. They're not. They play with their no, mates, that's right. and it is socially yeah. acceptable to cheat. And if that's in your little group, then but you know, cheating's a fun Cheating's got a very toxic connotation. Yes, it's not cheating if you go out there and say, "Look, we're going to have a bit of fun." Yeah. So look, you know, but you don't tee up like Leon. Yeah. Leon tees up in the fairway. 
You can't do that. <laughs> Not <laughs> <You> know, the <laughs> comp. <laughs> that's called. That's that, unfair. Uh, yes. You know, even on a decent lie. If you have, if you see me driving, mate, there's no advantage. <laughs> Oh, God. Now, you, you didn't mention Albert Mantello then, did oh, you? Oh, Albert. Oh, God. So, now he, so he... How is he? He doesn't, treat, he doesn't treat it seriously, and that's fine. You go out and have a bit of fun. In fact, I wrote to the um, Golf Australia at the time when mm-hmm. uh, Colin Phillips was running it yeah. to say, why don't we invent a social game of golf so that everybody cheats equally? Yes. You know, if you're behind a tree, you're allowed to move it to club level. Yeah. That's Australia. Let's get better. Well, let's, no, let, well, let's not make the game complicated. This is for people just wanting to have a good yeah, time. That's it. It's like gimmies. Yeah. Gimmies are a curse of a thing because they're usually given to people who can't putt. They'll give each other gimmies, <laughs> and the gimmies go from one foot to about out of yeah. a bunker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see easy golf. Yeah. So if, if yeah, easy people golf, who just yeah. want to walk and yeah. have a nice have day, a, hit the ball. If it's in the trees, walk. bring it back out in the you know, field. Albert, you know, if it's Albert's, in the bunker, just have a chip. Yeah, yeah. Albert Mantello had a caddy once. You know whose caddy was? <laughs> now remember a show? Remember James Bond Goldfinger? Yes. In the golf, yeah. odd job. Oh yeah. Remember that? Remember that? Around the golf they played, they lost the golf. You know, playing James Bond in golf. And all of a sudden, Odd Job found his ball and dropped out of his pocket. <laughs> Albert says, I've never been, he's been the, mate, he's been in the biggest, off, he's been the biggest scrub you've ever seen, but they always find the ball and it's always an yeah. unbelievable lie. <laughs> he's always got a shot out of it. Mark, are you still playing from social golf? Yeah, well, it became my, once I was sick, it became my barometer and I wanted to keep moving. You know, the doctors and the surgeons who were brilliant and made no mistakes with anything they did, they said, listen, keep moving, whatever you do. So golf was my moving because I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I didn't like just walking around the block. So I started playing a lot more than I was. And <laughs> I think I was playing off scratch back then. And now I'm off plus two, two years later, because I've just started really enjoying uh, social you did golf. play the pro-ams? And play yeah, the well, maybe I will. Maybe I will if I'm not too busy. I've got a couple uh, of kids. I've got one that, in mind for you in December. Keep that, keep, right. keep it free. Just a final one for me. Yeah. Your lovely wife and your kids... Yeah. All well and good. They, they are brilliant. They are. They, they were fantastic. That's the most and my, important and, thing. And my wife, you know, when you saw her on TV, she was the star of that show, Sam. Yes, she, she was, was you unbelievable. Her, you paid her a huge compliment, and she was. She was. She was so nervous before she went on. She didn't know how she'd go, and she oh. ended up being the star of the show. I'm so proud of her. Well, you tell her, there's no bigger star than me in Australia at the moment, <laughs> but she's up there rivaling me, let me assure you at the moment. I agree with that. You're Australia's lambassador for Christ. <laughs> yes, You're right. unbelievable. I'll now, t- Leon, stop teeing up in the fairway, I'm I'll, telling you. I'll, I'll tell you what this did, uh, this bloke did for us once, uh, Sam. I, I had an association with uh, all the clubs. You know, I was president of the Clubs Association clubs, yeah, clubs for many, many years. And one of our clubs was St Albans, long way out of town. Mm. He wouldn't know where that is, Mark. Well, that's, Brighton, that's, mate, that's, that's what I assume. So I rang him up and I said, "Look, we've got this thing out there. It's a, it's a, it's a community sports club. You know, they do all this sporting uh, footy and cricket and the women's football. They were big at that." And a mate of mine was running the place, and he asked me to get a group together. You know, and Merv Hughes came out. Mm. Of course, he didn't have far to come. This bunny, I said, how'd you get here? And he said, did you find your way here? Oh, yeah, I caught the train and the tram and I... You what? 
from where he was living, he could yeah. so I drove right. you, you know why, though? Why? I'd lost my licence at yeah, the time. Yeah, I know, but you could have told me that, and we could have fixed it. <laughs> I didn't want to let you down. He got out public transport. That's an Speaks volumes of character, man. It does so, and uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on the well, programme. Well, I did it, Leon, because you're one of my favourites. I'd do anything, oh, I'd do anything for either of you, I promise you that. Oh, you're a star. You'll regret saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Allen for now. tomorrow, before you go tomorrow, Mark, I need a... Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next week, folks. Ha, ha, ha.